Well, good morning. There you are. A new year. I love new. This is 2022. I didn't know that I'd make it this long, but here we are, 2022. There's something about new that has punch and freshness to it. I mean, you start in the book, very first page. It's chaos, and all of a sudden new stuff happens when light shows up and God starts working in that way. When I think of new, I think of one particular Christmas. It's the Christmas of 1954. I'm a 12-year-old kid in East Oakland, California. I desperately wanted a new bike. I had an old bike that somebody had before me. Now we call that pre-owned. Let's be real. It was used. And, uh, you know, it was balloon tires. Now they're back. They're cruisers, and you pay big money. But I, I wanted a racing bike with the skinny tires. And, and so, you know, the Christmas tree came, and we had the presents, and, and there no bike. And then, but there was an envelope on the tree. The last thing I opened it up, said, go look on the front porch, stepped out, and there was a brand new racing bike. It was black. It was called a Tiger Racing Bike from Holland. I don't know if that made it any better, but it wasn't one like we have now with gears that cost $72,000. It wasn't one of those. You know, it was just a plain bike, but it was new, it, it, and it was freshly minted. There are two ideas, two words in Scripture for new in the New Testament, one is, and this, this was in the Greek language, and if you're not bilingual, I'm going to help you be bilingual. I'm not a fluent Greek person, but, I, but there are two words. One is neos, from which we get neonatal, and the other is a different word, and it's um, kainos, and it means of a totally different kind. So I had a new a neos bike, right? I had a Tiger Racer, but five years later, when I went to college, I bought this. 150cc Vespa Italian motor scooter. I know you guys are Harley people. These are coming back. I'm just saying, I could go 60 miles an hour on that sucker down the freeways in Oakland, California. You get in the slipstream in an 18-wheeler, you could even go faster than 60, but it wasn't good when you pulled out. I'm just saying, all right? And, uh, but kainos means a new kind. Here, here's the word. Why don't you just say it with me? You can say, now I'm bilingual. Kainos, Okay of a totally different kind. Not something just made, but something that is totally different. My, my Vespa was totally different. I didn't have to pedal it. It was still transportation, but it was a totally different thing. That word is used in a lot of different places in the New Testament. Let me just give you two or three. Jesus, the night before he goes to the cross, says this to the disciples in John 13. A new command I give you, a kainos command, Love one another. Now, that wasn't new, because that was, that was old. You know, love God, love your neighbor. This is what's new. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the totally different kind part. How about this one? In the same way, in Luke 22, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. We don't speak covenant language today unless you're buying a house. They have covenants and stuff. But, you know, we're a, we're a contractual culture, right? So we know about contracts and payments and all that. And that we have several different kinds of agreements. If you buy a car and you can't pay for it all, you go to the bank and they give you a deal or the dealer gives it to you and they keep the pink slip and you make payments and that's a mutual agreement. This new covenant is not like that. This is a royal covenant where the king of the universe says, so here's the deal, folks. you got all this junk in your life. I'll take care of it, but here's the deal. These are the guidelines. 
I'll set the, I'll set the boundaries. These are the stipulations. And uh, I'll do it all. And I say, you know, I really want to help. I'd like to have a part, a slice of the pie, take some credit. He says, you can't take credit. You can't even get out of the hole you're in now. So why, you, and this is a false paraphrase of Scripture. You understand that. But I'm saying, when, when the royal covenant does it, the king says, here are the terms. You can accept them or reject them, but you cannot change them. So that's the new covenant. And then you have this. Paul is writing to a church in southern Greece. It's a place called Corinth. It's a party town. It's a cross between Hollywood and Fort Lauderdale on spring break. So it's this wild place. And he's writing to them and he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, two critical words, the new creation has come. New creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So the question is, what sets the stage for us experiencing new in our lives. I would submit that it's the love of God that shows up in our lives, that God does something and I respond to it. The Old Testament word, it's a Hebrew word, it's sort of like clearing your throat, it's chesed. Chesed means loving kindness, that's how it's translated in the Old Testament, but it's, it's concrete love. It isn't, it isn't sweaty hand, you know, stars in your eyes kind of, romantic love. It's, not, it's concrete kind of love, like acts of compassion, acts of kindness, acts of grace, acts of mercy, acts of loyalty, acts of forgiveness. That, that creates a landscape, if you will, for us to respond to. I, was, uh, I had the privilege, we've had several grandkids with us this past week. They came the week after Christmas, and, and they used to be small, and they were faster in the speed of light. N now they're teenagers, and so they sleep till three in the morning and do video games in your basement and take very long showers. And uh, I, so, but Jack, who's a junior in university in California, was out, and we went for a walk by the Pooter between Water Valley and Windsor and Greeley. We didn't walk all that distance, but he walked like six miles a day. I didn't go that far, but we're walking along and we're talking about books that we like to read. And I said, you know, I've, I read this book a couple of times that I really like. It's by a scientist named Stephen Johnson, and it's called How We Got to Now. And he goes back and takes something like glass or something like artificial light and how artificial light has changed the fabric of the world. Once you could stay up past the going down of the sun, then you have all kinds of possibilities in terms of night shift. And, and I said, I really like understanding how we got to now. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter in the New Testament to the church in Rome that is sort of a how we got to now book. Scholars and theologians called the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, the magnus opus, that's like a, a Latin phrase. I don't know why I'm getting all the linguistics today, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a Latin phrase that means like the guy's greatest work, his big view. And Romans does that, and, and Paul gives a detailed explanation in the first 11 chapters of, of who Jesus was, why he came, what needed to change, how that works. He does 11 chapters of that setting, creating the landscape, Okay. These, uh, this is how God is at work. And then he, he also comes at my gods in that first 11 chapter. You know, I, I'd sort of like to be my own God. I don't know if you've tried that or not, but I, I blew my fuses trying to do that. Um, 
Because what I do when I create my own idols or things to worship is I, I think of the very best human being I can think of and then I fall down and worship me. I just thought I'd throw that out to see if any of you connected with that. But we're here because we found out that doesn't work. For the most part, that's why we're here. And Paul is not having none of that puny kind of thinking, none of that stilted, narrow, finite kind of thinking. And so in those first 11 chapters, he talks about a God who creates a totally new family that's built on covenant and trust. And it's a family from all backgrounds and all ethnicities and all ranks in the social order and all of that. So he gets, and, and, and his thought is that when you follow Jesus, people start changing. We move, we change, we grow. Those are the operative words. So you get to chapter 12, and he's talking to a church in Rome that used to be just Jewish. And now it's all these other cultures, all these other people. Because the word's out that Jesus isn't just for one group, but he's for everybody. And so he's saying, here's what needs to happen. And in Romans, the 12th chapter, this is how it reads. Some of you are saying, finally he got to Scripture. So here we are, Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, key phrase, in view of God's mercy, and literally that's a plural, mercies, to offer your bodies, your whole person, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. My thesis is we respond to God because of his mercies. There's a scripture that says we love him because he first loved us. He created the landscape for a response. Listen to how Job, Job's a guy in the Old Testament who had all kinds of problems, right? And he wrote the book of Lamentations. This is what he says in Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'm going to read that again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We live in a culture that says, you know, you're really only as good as your last game. I've been watching football. I hear those guys say that all the time. Only as good as your last game. Or what have you done for me lately? Or so what's the bottom line? <clears throat> Excuse me. But what you find in people who are being transformed, if you will, which we'll get to in just a second, is they're grateful for mercies. I'm going to tell you a story toward the end of the, our time here in just a few minutes about Ruth and I. We're 24-year-olds back in 1966. We feel called to go to a university campus back in 1966 to 70. Those years in there were years of tremendous upheaval. I know we think we're in upheaval now, but those of you who are old enough remember there were riots, there were assassinations, there were all kinds of things going on. And we go to one of those campuses that's one of those hotbeds of unrest. And... Um, a lot of young collegians, university students, came to faith in those years. Because when the world goes up for grabs, people are looking for places to land. And many of them landed in Jesus. And the church was small enough at the time, maybe 150 folks, where um, sometimes we'd take song requests. 
And there was an old gospel song we used to sing. We don't sing it much anymore called At Calvary. And the refrain goes like this. And these people who were um, new to faith, if you will, that were being transformed, um, they would ask for this. And he, here's the refrain. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The gratefulness that we have for God's mercies, that landscape that he has put together, stirs our souls, calls us forward, calls us out to greater things. This is how Paul says it in the second verse. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that, that renewing part, that's the kinos word right there. That's the verb for, for something of a different kind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word confirm, conformed in the original is schema. Those of you who are in the building trades, those of you who are electricians or plumbers or builders, contractors, whatever, you know about schematics. It's the chart of where stuff goes. You want to have that rather than saying, well, I think we'll put a light switch two feet off the floor. So, no, you want schematics that tell you where stuff goes. That's a good thing. The downside of schema is if you're a swindler and you have schemes to take my cash. So that, that's another use of the word schema. And that's sort of how Paul is using it here. He's saying don't let the schemes of the world squeeze you. Don't... Uh, let me put it more particularly. J.B. Phillips was a pastor in London at the end of World War II. You've heard me speak of him on occasion. He was one of the first paraphrasers of Scripture where you're not trying to go for the individual words as much as the sense of the passage. And uh, he, he wanted to write something for all of those millions of men and women coming back from battle rather than having to work through all the old Shakespearean language of these and thous and dust and wort and all that stuff. And he said, paraphrasing scripture was like rewiring an old house without turning off the power. And this is how he phrased Romans 12 too. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to do something with you. I'm going to take a chance, but I've taken chances twice before and it's worked out, so go with me on this, okay? Let's pretend we're in the first grade and the teacher says, all of you put your hands just like this. Just come on, go with me on this. Just do it for fun. I know some of you say, really? Yeah, but it's okay. So, so here's the deal. Move your hands like this. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Squeeze and scrunch and get it like that. But be transformed by the remolding of your mind from within as the Spirit of God sets you free. Let's try that. That's good. Let's try it one more time. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, but be transformed by renewed, be renewed from the inside out by the renewing of your mind by the Spirit of God. I love that image because there are so many places in my life that I get squeezed by other people's ideas or systems or, I mean, the world offers schemes, okay? The world offers schemes. They say, try this, try this, that new and improved, why don't you do that? How about taking this? Why don't you pop on that or drink that or do whatever the thing is? 
There's, that's what's good. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, those are short-term solutions. They're not solutions. They're just short-term. They have a shelf life. Their sell-by date comes up way too quick. Okay? And usually somebody's getting a dollar on the other end of what that scheme is, whatever that thing is. It's not just taking your cash. Oftentimes it's taking your life. So the world offers schemes, but God offers transformation. Transformation. That thing, that thing. That's what he offers. Why don't you fly? Why don't you be set free? Why don't you see what some possibilities are for you and for those around you? When my sister and I, Luann, she's three and a half years older than I, we were missionary kids in, in uh, India back in the late 40s, and they would take us on walks up at 6,000 feet in the tea plantations, and we'd pick, we don't get this fruit very much, we do, but not many people go with it, our guavas, little fruit off of bushes, and so we did that. But one day my sister found on the branch of a little bush or tree um, a cocoon on a branch, and the branch was about this long, and so she took the branch and brought it back to school, and the cocoon was maybe that big, you know, and, and they put it in a big jar or in a box or something. I don't remember exactly what. And after a few weeks, that thing hatched. And it had been a caterpillar, you know, crawling around and eating, and then it spun the thing, and now it's a cocoon. And when it hatched, it turned out to be an atlas moth. An atlas moth is one of the largest moths in the world. You can go to Westminster, the place where they have the butterflies. You go, in, I wore a yellow hat in there. And all of us, I had yellow butterflies all over my head. It was a very cool look. And I, but I don't know how all that works with butterflies. Some of you can tell me afterwards. But an atlas moth can, can get a wingspan up to 10 and a half inches. And hers was nine. So it started out with this little, little, little ugly thing. And it turned into this beautiful atlas moth. And this is what the scripture is saying. It's saying, I know, I know you look like this. I know you feel like this right now, but when you step into Christ, the possibilities of you turning into this other thing are, are guaranteed, if you will. It's um, the language that's used here oftentimes is you go from faith to faith in this transforming process, from glory to glory. I'd like to, I'd like to put a melody with that. Here's a song that puts the melody to this idea of change, okay? This is the song. Our son-in-law, Van Clements, pastors in Eugene, Oregon, he has a great gift. He's written numbers of songs. This was about 20 years ago, and it's called Changing Me. We're just gonna take a couple of minutes and listen to it. Your love is changing my heart, Lord. Your is changing the way I see. Your love is changing my everything. Your love is changing me. Your love is changing Your love 
love that song. <clears throat> so I, wanna, I want you to join me in doing something. You say, what is this? Participation Sunday, the first week? <laughs> Absolutely, that's what it is. And we're going to sing that. So let's just sing that together. It's going to be the best a cappella choir in northern Colorado, maybe in the whole country today. This could be it. So we're just going to sing it. And I'll just start. The words will be up there. And just go with me on this, okay? Here we go. Your love is changing my heart, Lord. Your love is changing the way I see. Your love is changing my everything. Your love is changing me. Your love is changing my heart, Lord. Your love is changing the way I see. Your love is changing my everything. Your love is changing me. Not by might, not by power, but by your Spirit, O oh Lord. Come transform my desires to reflect your likeness, to display your glory, to declare your kingdom has come. Your love is changing my life, Lord. Your love is changing the way I see. Your love is changing my everything. Your love is changing me. Give yourself a hand. I mean, look at that. Last night we did that with a lot fewer people, and I'm saying, Lord, help us, this isn't going to work. But it did work, so I just thought I'd throw that in. So why have a new mind? Why do that? Well, a mind renewed makes way for our unique gifts. A mind renewed makes way for our unique gifts. Listen to how Paul frames it. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The Holy Spirit is making a new kind of people, a kainos people of a different kind and we come from all different backgrounds and all different stuff and we just and he's doing this new thing and he's saying when your heart and mind are transformed you start seeing seeing yourself in a different way and your place in a different way well I fit here or I fit there or I do this or I'm part of this group or that or the other in those years between 1966 and 1976 all that stuff that I talked about was going on. And um, Ruth and I were 24 years old when we went there. And we were there from 24 years old to 36 years old. It was so formative in our lives. Three of our four kids were born there. We're, we transplanted from Modesto, California, or California, to the corn and soybean fields of East Central Illinois, 135 miles south of Chicago. There were 15 college students when the church started, and so after a few years it had grown. But what we found in those shaping years, you know how it is when you're in your 20s, you're so shaped and impacted by stuff, and it was transformation right, left, and center, not just in the group, but in us. And when I was preparing these message, this message and these thoughts, I started sort of seeing a 
what we used to call a newsreel, maybe a video of faces of people that had been transformed in those years. And we're old enough that we've had the privilege of seeing scores of people transformed by Jesus, including ourselves. And, um, but one name came to the front for me this week. It, David was his name, David Sutton. I met him first in the spring of 1971. This little church crammed with 150 people, mostly college students. I walk in a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. And I walk in, and there he is, sitting on the floor in front of me. And uh, handsome kid, and back in the day, you know, bearded and, and overalls and bare feet, just sitting right there. And um, his enthusiasm was palpable. He had a smile as wide as the Mississippi River. And what I didn't know about him was that he was an 18-year-old university dropout. His dad was a prof of U.S. history at the University of Illinois. And he had been brought up in church, but it didn't take. You know, some of us were brought up in church, and wow, we had to sort of fight through that to find Jesus sometimes. And for him, he had that challenge, as did his older brother along the way. But in the prior weeks to when I met him, something happened, and Jesus took and David was off to the races. Let me fast forward 40 years to 2012 when David went home to Jesus at the age of 59. I went online and looked at the obituary notice in the Muskegon, Michigan Chronicle. And this is what it says about David, this 18-year-old university dropout, okay, who had been into all kinds of junk. Dr. David Sutton, MD, this is written in April of 2012. Dr. David Sutton, MD, beloved husband, father, grandfather, brother, and local pediatrician, went to be with his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on April 21st. He was born April 28, 1952, Champaign, Illinois, to Robert and Elizabeth Sutton. And then this line that just sets it off for me. On February 26, 1971, he had an unexpected encounter with Jesus that changed the rest of his life. There's a point where change starts. For some, some of us <clears throat> maybe who are a little tougher, a little more cynical. It's not, so. it's a germ, and it just sort of gets in there, and it takes a while, and we wander over there, and we fight it, and we, you know, it's kind of like that. But for some of us, like David, it's a moment. It's a dramatic moment. I have this habit when I'm telling stories about people that oftentimes I'll call them, and in this case, David's with the Lord, so he, he's not caring about this so much, maybe. But but I called his twin sister, Betsy, and I found her in North Carolina this week, and we chatted, had a lovely chat, and then she said, you need to talk to our older brother, Bill, two and a half years older than we are. So I called Bill, got him in Michigan, and this is what Bill told me. He said, it was Christmas time, 1970. Neither David nor I were with the Lord. We were off doing our stuff and deep into some stuff. And we, neither of us was in a good place. And we were driving past the University of Illinois Assembly Hall. That's like Moby Arena here at Colorado State. Driving past, all the lights were on. And David said, what is that? I said, oh, that's some Christian conference or 
Urbana, the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's a college group. They're working on getting missionaries and stuff. And David said something along the lines of, so do you think there's a God or do you believe that? And he said, it sort of made me angry. This is the older brother saying it really took me off a little bit. And then David said something like, I'm thinking there might be something to it. A few weeks later, David, who was this athletic, strong guy, he was a speed skater. He went out on a Friday night and speed skated. I don't know where or how you do that, but he went out and did that. And then he wandered into the church that he had been brought up in. It was dark. It was back in the day when the doors could be left open. He wandered in and sat down in the church. He was alone, Bill said, and desperately searching for answers. Years later, David said it this way. I was a college dropout, an arrogant, foul-mouthed teenager who had definitely lost his way. And on a Friday night, all by myself in the darkness, I cried out to God and said, If you're real, please come in and change my life. I'm tired of living so miserably. I immediately felt his presence enter my life in a very real way. I have never been the same person since. Bill, his brother, said, God lifted David out of his despair so dramatically, I still swear I've never seen anything like it. David apparently called a a high school friend, a girl by the name of Beth, who was known to be the sort of the religious person there. You know, they made fun of her because she was... And Beth apparently brought him to the little congregation where we were. And there he is, sitting in front of me, smiling, clearly excited. And this had just happened. David, Bill says, his brother, was more than willing to attribute this change to Jesus. And Bill goes on, the formerly socially awkward younger brother of my youth had become compellingly outgoing. Almost the life of the party, though in actual fact he'd quit partying. He had also become joyfully compassionate, aggressively loving, determined to be a blessing wherever he went, characteristics that he exuded for the rest of his life. Bill said, I had no inclination toward or intention of following his example, but I was intrigued and I watched him like a hawk. That got Bill in trouble. Because years down the road, sometime down the road, Bill started that same journey with David. David went from faith to faith and glory to glory. He began to grow. He didn't want to go back to school. Many of us have been there. We dropped out or were asked to leave. You know, we've been there. And uh, we didn't want to go to school again right away. And, but he was a fixer. He had a capacity for fixing things. And so he went and worked in an auto shop and became a mechanic. And then he, and he did well. And then he went and became a carpenter, and he did well at that. And then he called a, a, a farmer friend of mine, Lynn Warfel, who farmed 3,500 acres south of town in, there in, in uh, Urbana, Illinois. And Lynn, I called Lynn yesterday, said, Lynn, to tell me about David Sutton. He said, well, I brought him on in the summer of 73. What a delightful young, our family loved David. And then finally he said, okay, let's do the school thing again. He went to Wheaton College, graduated in 77 with honors, and then went to University of Illinois Medical School and became a pediatrician with a specialty in ADD for kids walking with their families. And this was back when ADD wasn't such so noticed, if you will. And uh, this is David with a young friend of his as a doctor. Let me come back to his obituary. 
It said throughout his life he was passionate about serving others and his faith. That's where the text takes us in, in Romans 12. If I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, I see myself in a different way. I start seeing you in a different way. I start seeing the, the community in a different way. It goes on to say he took yearly medical missionary trips to Romania from 1991 to 2000. And in more recent years, six trips to work with Habitat for Humanity in Clarksdale, Mississippi. He was a Sunday school teacher. This is, this is in the Michigan, Muskegon, Michigan Chronicle. Like, this isn't a church deal. Sunday school teacher, prayer warrior, encourager of many. In 2000, when he was getting sick, he began riding recumbent bicycles and rode 22,000 miles before his death in 2012. David was not conformed. He had been conformed. But with Jesus in his life, he was being transformed by the renewing of his mind. He went from faith to faith and glory to glory. Bill says, we all knew David as one of the kindest men we'd ever met. It wasn't in him to belittle or demean. That's why he became a doctor. That's why he elected to serve a population in Mississippi that had been largely left to muddle through their challenges on their own. The one constant with David, Bill says, I am continually reminded what his single-minded approach to his faith. And when he asked God to change his life, and he did, David responded by giving him his whole life in every aspect. That sounds like living sacrifice language to me. David himself wrote not long before he passed away, as Bill says, on an index card in beautiful, primitive second grade handwriting. I ran out of gas sooner, much sooner than I meant to, but by the tremendous grace of Almighty God, I ran and rode an amazingly productive race in just 58 years. He went on to end his testimonial at that moment by saying, you know, my parents had me go to vacation Bible school when I was a kid, and they have you do all those games and tell you all those stories, and you learn all those verses, and I could only remember one verse, <clears throat> and he put that verse in his testimonial. This is the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. Because of the mercies of God, because of that landscape, let's respond to it by giving our whole selves. Do not, I beg you, do not let the world squeeze you, scrunch you down, wad you up and throw you away, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the spirit from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being yours. Thank you for the privilege of responding. Lord, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice in this space or in cyberspace around the world who says, I'm just miserable like David was. I'm in despair. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you show up. Redeem me for your own purposes. May that happen even as I speak. And for those of us who have said, you know, I think I've not paid attention to what the new things are that the Lord wants to do in me and in my heart and mind. Help us to make a fresh commitment on this first weekend of January 2022 to that transformational process. 
Thank you, God, that you don't let us stay where we are, but you move us on toward you and in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.